Um, we're actually in a series right now leading up to Christmas, and the title is All I Want for Christmas. Because if you have um, a child in your house, maybe a niece, a nephew, a son, a daughter, a grandchild, uh, any kind of uh, young person, then probably you may have already heard that phrase uttered at some point, probably dozens of times in the last couple of weeks. All I want for Christmas is... Dot, dot, dot. Well, actually, all I want for Christmas is also, and suddenly this, this list grows because uh, that's the phrase, isn't it? That's, uh, that's what a lot of these, uh, these youngsters are saying, all I want for Christmas. And we've been looking over the last couple of weeks, we're going to look this morning, because with toys come all sorts of different um, benefits and challenges. So over the last few weeks, we've been looking at some of the labels that come attached to some of those gifts that we give to our kids, grandkids, nephews, or nieces. The first week, we talked about the idea that there is some assembly required. Okay, if you're a parent here this morning, and it's your first Christmas with a gift that involves some assembly required, I've got to warn you, that's a complete understatement. You will be up till the early hours of Christmas morning. There's a lot of assembly required. Uh, maybe it's the idea of batteries not included, Okay, that, that horror of waking up on Christmas morning only to give that toy or gift uh, if, you, if you mums or dads have bought gifts for your kids and uh, discover that the batteries weren't included. Now this morning, uh, we're going to look at another phrase that can be found on the back of uh, some games that many of your kids, grandkids, nephews, nieces will be getting this Christmas. And the title is E is for Everyone. E is for everyone. You see, if you're given any kind of video game of any sort this year, it will have what we call a rating label on the back. And um, they, they have these labels to denote you know, the, the level, the age that they recommend that uh, this game is suitable for. Now, some of you grown-ups like me, okay, this is a new thing. You know, when we were kids and we played video games, they didn't have ratings, did they? I mean, let's be honest, um, if, if you're a young person here this morning, I can see a few kids out there this morning, I'm about to open your eyes, okay, because you're going to go home this afternoon and play your, your Wii or your Xbox or your iPod, whatever it is, and play all these games, and you're like, man, I wonder if my mum and dad played video games when they were kids. They did. They had the most exciting video games you could ever imagine. I spent many hours with my friends enthralled at the excitement involved in this game. Check this video out. Yes! Pong! This was state of the art. Sorry, I'm, I'm speaking over the sound effects, which were amazing. Stereo sound effects, I think, there. The excitement's building, isn't it? <laughs> oh, one point. <laughs> All right, some of you are already falling asleep, so we'll, uh, we'll cut that video right there. But when I played that game as a child, the hours of fun I had playing, there was no rating. There was no one saying, oh, can kids play this? That's kind of intense, those paddles going up and down, you know. I'm not sure if young children can handle this. No, there was no racism because that was it, okay? Now, as I got a little bit older, more games came in, and I'm surprised that the ratings didn't come in earlier because there were some pretty scary games around when I was a kid. Do you know there's a game I used to play where there was this, this little guy, he was stuck in a maze, and he had to try and eat his way out while being pursued by ghosts who, if they caught him, would eat him no rating at all. It sounds terrifying, but they just let anyone play Pac-Man. Can you believe that? 
What about the game when, when the guy's girlfriend was kidnapped by a large ape and he had to run up the steps and climb the ladders and, and jump the barrels to try and rescue his girlfriend? No rating, despite the fact this was a terrifying game. How about this one? When our planet was under attack and it was up to you to save mankind from those invaders from space. And we spent many hours playing this as children. Again, no one told us this. It was unsuitable for children to play. It was a very scary game. What about this one? The princess has been kidnapped. She's been taken away to a castle. So we need to send someone to rescue her. Who shall we send? Maybe a spy or a greatest military figure. Maybe a police officer of some sort. No, I know. Let's send a plumber. That's who we should send to rescue the princess. Why wouldn't you send a plumber? So, uh, so I spent many hours playing Mario here, uh, jumping over toadstools, climbing down drain pipes. And again, no rating system whatsoever. They just let anyone play these games. There's probably a reason for that now. Well, they should have had ratings on them, or at least time limits. But you know what's happened is as graphics have become more intense, as games have become um, a lot bigger and a lot bolder, so what they've had to do now is they've realized, you know, some of these games, they're really not suitable for young children. So they've come up with these rating systems now to approve um, ages for games to be played. So, so if we go to the other end from E is for everyone, we'll find ourselves at a rating that was M for mature. Now there are some video games that carry this rating. Uh, a lot of the war games, that kind of thing, they feel like the violence and the, 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 the language even is, is just not suitable for young children. So the M for mature rating carries a 17 plus. The recommendation is that no one under the age of 17 should be able to play this game. Now, there are other more family-friendly games. Here's an example of one. Maybe you've played a game called Guitar Hero, okay? Uh, that doesn't get an M rating. They figure that, hey, anyone in the family can play this. But you know what? We are going to put a T for teen rating on it. I think the reason they did that is because they've discovered that some of the music in it is quite questionable. It could actually have an impact on impressionable young minds. And um, especially when they introduced country music to it, I think they thought, well, yeah, we'd better protect the minds of small children here. So we'll put a T for teen rating on this just to safeguard those, those precious minds. So, uh, so that's why it carries a teen rating. But then there are some games that have this rating that we're talking about this morning, E is for everyone. So I just randomly picked the first one I could find, and it turned out it was FIFA 15. It's a video game about soccer. And uh, why not give this the E is for everyone? Because this is suitable for anyone to play. And let's be honest, E is for everyone. Everyone should be playing this game. It's soccer. It's brilliant, okay? So uh, I think that's why that carries the E is for everyone rating. But here's the thing with those ratings. You see... The moment they were introduced, it created a unique dynamic for us as parents, a unique dynamic for us as grandparents or older brothers or sisters, is that now suddenly there are games that it's okay for one kid to play, but maybe it's not okay for another kid to play. And we've created this world now where, where younger kids kind of feel like a little bit left out. You know, there's this exclusivity that my older brother or my friend at school gets to play this game and I'm not allowed to. We enter into those situations where, where seven-year-old um, comes to us and says, I want to play Call of Duty. And you're like, buddy, that's, that's, that's like an old kid's game. You can't play that. That's, well, my friend Johnny gets His mum and dad let him play it. And we're like, well, we're not Johnny's mum and dad. And the, these, these new discussions come about, you know. And 
And what it does is as children, we start to encounter this, this situation of feeling like what it's like to kind of be set aside, to left out. There's, there's something that others get to do that I don't get to do. And you know, that exclusivity, that idea of being separated there, that may start with video games. But as we get older and we stop playing video games, and I know there are some guys here in their 30s and 40s thinking there's a time when you stop playing video games. There, there should be. There's meant to be. But anyhow, as, as we get older and we stop playing video games, that can actually creep up in other areas of our life, can't it? We want to exist in a world where E is for everyone, but we're starting to find that, that there are different things that happen in our lives that kind of cause that exclusivity, and we feel like a little bit like the little kids who can't play the, the older kids' video games. We kind of feel a little bit separated. That idea that we don't belong, we don't fit in, it could come from many different ways, and many times it's a self-imposed label. Maybe we determine that we're not smart enough, we're not wealthy enough, we're not pretty enough, or we're not skinny enough. We don't fit in because our family is dysfunctional. We look around and we, we have this perception of what a normal family should look like, and, and our family, we feel like, doesn't look like that. Or maybe we look at our own life and we think, well, my life's a mess. So I kind of find myself over here, and I put everyone else over there, because when I look over my shoulder, I see a trail of broken relationships, and my life is a mess. Maybe it's something like our house isn't big enough, our car isn't big enough. Whatever it is, we have this desire to live in a world where E is for everyone, but we've created these rating systems of our own that have actually segregated us and separated us from where we wish we could be. And this Christmas, I want to talk about that. Because you see, in the Christmas story, I feel like there's a group of individuals who felt just like that, who felt like they, they didn't fit in, that they were kind of outcasts. And I'm going to introduce you to them here in, in a second, and some of you may have already kind of guessed who they were. But um, before I do, and before we read the story, I thought rather than me read it from the Bible this morning, I would let um, a very famous theologian uh, recount the story of these individuals for us. So check out this video. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Yeah. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Come on. I love it. Linus tells us the story there of the shepherds. 
And that's why I want to speak about this morning because, you know, last week I was talking about Mary and I talked about, you know, when we, we look at the Bible story in the context of maybe the nativity sets that a lot of us have got in our homes, you know, Mary's right there in the middle. She's a key figure in the Christmas story. Well, if Mary is a key figure, obviously the baby in the manger, baby Jesus, he takes center stage there, but you've got Mary and Joseph. Well, just right off to the side, okay, you've got this group of shepherds. I mean, they were a very important, very integral part of the Christmas story. And I think when we think of that and we look at those nativity sets, we think, oh, yeah, well, obviously, you know, I knew that, um, I know about the shepherds. You know, I know who they were. They were the ones that um, God used to proclaim that Jesus was born. But actually, I think there's more than just the idea of, of them being shepherds, them being messengers. You see, I think actually there is another story, not just the fact that they were the ones that proclaimed Jesus was born. There's another story about who they were and why God chose them. It's a story that I think will impact all of us this morning. It's one that will show you that God wants us all to understand here this morning that E is for everyone. That God is for everyone. He is accessible to everyone. See, the angels appearing to the shepherds there, it was very significant. I think we've all become accustomed, to, we, we've got this kind of picture in our minds of what shepherds look like, you know, whether it's in the nativity set, um, maybe you were part of a nativity play, like the, the picture on the screen there, okay, and you think of shepherds as those guys who sat out peacefully on the side of the hill, and they watched those little fluffy white balls of wool, you know, the sheep, that was their job, just to kind of keep an eye on them. In England, we used to do these kind of plays at school. They were called nativity plays, and, and we basically all dressed up as different characters. The shepherds were the guys who basically wore the bathrobes. Uh, they had a, a hand towel on their head, you know, with a, a belt wrapped around it, you know, and they just had this really pretty image of what a shepherd looked like. But actually, actually, as I've been preparing for my message, preparing for this series, I've discovered that this image of the shepherds couldn't be further from the truth. You see, shepherds were a very unique group of individuals. Their, their career, that, that, that choice they made to become a shepherd, maybe it wasn't even a choice, maybe it was something they were born into, but, but shepherds back then were a lot different to how we imagine. Have you ever seen the show on TV, Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe? Okay, so I haven't watched this very often, but in preparation for my message, I thought about it, so I, I, I looked it up on YouTube, and I watched a few clips, and I now know that this guy basically just does the, the craziest things. He goes all over the country, all over the world, trying to find what the dirtiest job possible is. The one I found was of him working with people who work with racehorses, and I watched about 10 minutes of him just basically working his way through a pile of poop. Just horse manure, yeah. I mean, this is like this is entertainment, folks. And uh, he was just kind of sorting through it and examining it, and and basically because that was someone's job, it is somebody's job to to inspect racehorse manure. So if you had a rough week at work this week, to think, you know what? I guess it could have been worse. So uh, it was a dirty job. Now, I think if you went back 2,000 years ago and, and you tuned in to, to NTV back then, that was Nazareth TV, um, you probably would have found a show just like this called Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe, and you know who he'd be hanging out with? The shepherds. That would be the dirty job of its day. Those would be the people that he would be going to get alongside with because shepherds had a dirty job. In fact, you know what? It wasn't just the job that was considered dirty. In that culture, those doing the job were considered dirty. They were looked down upon. 
If you did the job, if you had the job of a shepherd, you were considered dirty, not just because of your proximity to animals, but you as an individual were considered dirty. The job wasn't just looked down upon. The ones who did the job in that society would have been looked down upon. Now, I know here this morning that some of us had jobs that maybe are higher status jobs and and maybe some have lower status jobs, but I don't know that there's any of us here this morning that would say that the job I have turns me into a social outcast just because I do this job. And yet that's what the shepherds would have to say. So here's why this matters this morning. Here's why it's important for us to understand who the shepherds were and why it was so great that the angels appeared to them. You see, the shepherds that the angel appeared to in the part of the the story that that Linus was reciting from, their job was not just dirty, they themselves were considered dirty and unclean. So in a religious context, they weren't even allowed to participate in regular religious activities like everybody else because their job made it impossible to get rid of the ceremonial uncleanness from working with the sheep and sheep stuff. So not only were they treated like they didn't matter by people around them, people in other professions, not just in the eyes of people, but in their eyes they were treated like they didn't even matter to God. But you know, we shouldn't think of shepherds as just innocent victims of prejudice and oppression. Because of the status that was forced upon them, many of them actually became hostile and bitter towards the people who rejected them. They actually turned against those, and that ended up giving them an even lower reputation. I found one Bible scholar who who said that to buy wool, milk, or lamb from a shepherd was forbidden because it was always assumed that if you were doing that, it was probably stolen. So shepherds, they lived in this kind of semi-nomadic band and and they were just like thugs causing trouble wherever they went. Respectable people in that day didn't want anything to do with shepherds. And you know what? Many times shepherds didn't want anything to do with them either. Because isn't that the way it works when you find yourself in a group of people like that? Someone treats you bad and so you know what? I'm going to find ways to just give it right back. What you find is that the hated actually become the hateful. And we get stuck in these these cycles of bitterness and resentment. And I'm convinced that that's exactly why when God chose to tell um, that Jesus was being born, that he picked the shepherds. See, I don't think God's idea was that he just wanted to tell people. I think he wanted to choose a particular group of people to tell people. He picked people who were stuck in all kinds of suffering, including bitterness and resentment. He wasn't just telling them news. He was making it possible for them to be set free from those cycles of injustice and bitterness and resentment that they were stuck in. He was giving them a way out of all of these things, giving them a way to be set free from bitterness and resentment. You see, I think it's amazing this morning when we think about it and we realize, you know, God, he didn't just want to send a message to be proclaimed. He wanted to send a message to those doing the proclaiming. He wanted those shepherds, those outcasts of society, the hated and the hateful. He wants to say, hey, listen, he is for everyone. You are the ones I'm choosing to spread this news because God wanted them to know that they were precious in his sight. And that's important for us to understand this Christmas. 
Because, you know, I think the shepherds, part of it was a, um, a society thing that they were kind of looked down upon, but part of it was their response to how people had treated them. And maybe this Christmas time, um, whether it's through family situations or whatever it may be, um, you're finding some, some areas of your life magnified because of someone who hurt you or someone who wronged you. Maybe there's someone in, amongst your family or friends or, or circle of family that have caused you to feel resentment and bitterness. And you're here this morning, it's not everyone, but maybe there are some of you here this morning that actually, as everyone is counting down the days to Christmas with excitement, you're dreading it. Maybe you've seen the movie, there was a movie a while back called Four Christmases. Okay, the movie was a comedy and it was based upon the life of this couple who got married and they both came from kind of very dysfunctional families. So every Christmas they would um, tell their families, you know what, we're so sorry we can't spend time with you this Christmas because we're doing some aid work, we're doing some relief work, we're traveling to Africa, we're feeding orphans. What they were actually doing was going to the Caribbean and laying on the beach, but they would tell their family that they were going to do, you know, humane work. Well, one Christmas, they're caught at the airport. All the flights are canceled, and um, CNN are there recording the event, and they catch them live on TV, and their families discover that they're not really leaving. So they have to spend Christmas with four segments of their family because their family is, is broken up. And you watch it, and some of you may be thinking, man, four Christmases, that would be crazy to have to spend Christmas in four different places. But maybe some of you are here this morning thinking, man, I'd love it if it was just four Four would be great. We're at 10 different places over the next 10 days. You know, we've got to go to all these different. But the movie portrays this, this experience because every member of the family they go to, it brings up more hurt and more um, situations from, from their childhood and from growing up of, of where their family is broken and, and where their family is messy. And maybe like that movie, you're fearful because you know that this Christmas you're going to be confronting some of those things. Maybe it's not a broken relationship, but there's something going on in your life and, and you're not looking forward to being amongst family because you've, you, you feel that where you are right now that they're going to kind of look at you differently or treat you differently. And looking forward to being with those families is going to be tough. But listen, Christmas wasn't meant to be a time of, of strife. Christmas is God sending his son to earth in the flesh. He wants, us to, he wants to take us to new and better places, places that we could never get to on our own. And part of that, part of his plan for us, is that he wants to trade our bitterness and our resentment for something far better. So at that first Christmas, God chose to reach out to a group of people who had a lot to be bitter about. And this Christmas, he's doing the same thing. He's coming to people who've been rejected and hurt and stuck in bitterness because of it. And watch what happens to the shepherd. We're going to pick up um, on their story where Linus left off. We can find it in Luke chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. It says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and they found Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. You know, in the Charlie Brown version of the story, Linus didn't recite that part, but it's so important. Because when the angel announced the good news of Jesus' birth, it was great news to all people. You know, that included the shepherds. And they weren't used to that because nobody included them. Nobody wanted them. Nobody cared about them. But God did. 
So they go to see this thing that has happened. They go to Bethlehem to see baby Jesus. And when they get there, guess who else besides Mary and Joseph is there to witness the birth? That's right, nobody. No crowds, no paparazzi, no wise men. They didn't show up until much later. That first night, the wise men hadn't even arrived. The shepherds got there, and they had front row seats to the most, the most significant event in the history of the world. And I think for those shepherds, this is where the adventure for them really began. Because it's then that the shepherds realize just how much they matter to God. In that moment, when then the first to arrive to see Jesus born into the world, they realize God picked us. Of anyone he could have picked, God picked us. God sent the angels to them with the news that peace was coming to earth. When they see Jesus, they know that they matter to God. Everybody else might hate them and despise them and look down on them, but not God. God had reached out to them. God chose them. They mattered to God, and in that moment, they knew it. They discovered in that moment that when it comes to God, he is for everyone, even the shepherds. Do you know what? It wasn't just a nice feeling that they experienced in that moment. It changed who they were. Listen to how they responded once they'd seen this baby Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, it says, When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Do you see what's happening here? It's, it's really important we don't miss this part, and maybe we have before. They're talking to people who they wouldn't normally talk to. And vice versa. The birth of Jesus and how much they mattered to God didn't just feel good, it changed them. They were talking to people who hated their guts and who were used to being hated right back by these shepherds. And what we discover in that moment, as a result of the angels appearing to the shepherds, as a result of them coming and seeing that baby and realizing that God had picked them to spread the good news, the shepherds go from being hated haters to peace-proclaiming preachers. This is amazing. This is, this is the Bears fan sitting down for Christmas dinner with the Packers fan, holding hands together and praying over the meal. This is me riding in a car with someone who likes country music and letting them choose the radio station. It's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> This is what's happening. This, this birth of Jesus was so amazing. The fact that the shepherds knew that they'd been chosen by God, they, they put aside all their differences, all of that hatred, and they told people who normally they wouldn't converse with. It's almost like in that moment, all the bitterness, all the resentment went away because there was a greater story to be told. They'd gone from bitterness to love. So this Christmas time, I think there are two things that we can learn in light of what we now understand about the shepherds. I want to apply this to us here this morning. How can this affect us in our lives every day of the year, but especially as we come into Christmas? Well, the first thing I think we can learn from this is that he loves you. God loves you. This is good news for you this morning. Maybe you came to church this morning. Maybe you're a visitor. Maybe somebody invited you along. 
And you agreed it's Christmas time. You thought, yeah, I guess it'd be good to go to church. But even before you got here, you thought, you know, I'll go, but I know I won't fit in. Because, Dave, if you knew me, if you knew my story, if you, you'd know that I, I don't belong here. Because I understand that the church is for people who've got it all together. It's for people who know all the words to the songs and know where all those books are in the Bible. It's not for people whose lives aren't messy. Maybe you came here thinking the likelihood of me feeling like I belong at that church this morning would be like a kid of five years old playing one of those video games that's rated M for mature. It just wouldn't feel right. But the truth is with God, there aren't rating systems. With God, there's one rating system. And that is the E is for everyone. And wherever you find yourself this morning, whatever blows life has dealt you, wherever you are on your, your spiritual journey, I want you to know this morning that God loves you. And the E is for everyone. So this morning, whether you feel like you're a king sat here, or whether you relate to those shepherds, and you're like, you know what? That's how I feel. God loves you. And if that's all you get this morning, I hope and pray that that just echoes in your mind and your heart and your spirit all week that God loves me. He loves me so much this Christmas time that he sent Jesus for me. But listen, I think for some of us, that's actually gonna be easier to grasp than the second thing I wanna challenge us with. The second thing that we learn from the story of these shepherds. You see, the truth is that yes, he loves you, but you know what? That also means he loves everyone. If God loves us, then we have to accept that he loves everyone. So here's what that means to us here this morning or to, to maybe some of us here this morning. He doesn't just love you. He loves the person that you're bitter to this Christmas. He loves that person that you're harboring hostility towards. And this Christmas, he wants to know if you're up for trading your bitterness for his love this Christmas. You see, Jesus shows me how God sees even the most hateful, mean-spirited, conniving, unfaithful, hurtful person on this planet, that no matter who somebody is, that person is the beloved recipient of God's peace, his goodwill, and his favor, just like me. The person that you can't stand they're dearly loved by the God who loves you. So that's where we have to start, some of us, this Christmas. It's admitting to ourselves right now how God feels about the person that we ourselves are bitter towards. It's acknowledging that actually, even though we feel that way, that person matters immensely to God. And if we're brave enough and courageous enough and have the strength to do this, at that point we can say to God, please, would you replace my bitterness with love? I can't love them like you want me to, but would you please help me? And then not relying on feelings to move you, because if you wait for the feelings to come, they never will. But making a choice, say for your sake, God, more than anything else, it's about choosing for there to be peace and goodwill, choosing to want good things for that person, not because you love them, but because God does. And this may not apply to everyone here this morning. Maybe um, you guys are, are doing great as a family. Maybe Christmas is a good time. But I know that inevitably there will be some here this morning that because of some things that have happened in our lives, we, we can relate to the shepherds. 
We know what it's like to have been hurt. We know what it's like to have been hated. And actually it's affected us and we find that now we in turn, uh, we want to hurt back, we want to hate back. Christmas can be a, a difficult time, but Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I want you to know that God loves you, but he loves everyone. And that can change who you are if you'll allow him to. I'm going to give you an example of that right now. Um, there's a friend of mine, he's a pastor of a church up in Chicago, and a year or so ago, he was doing a series on, on Christmas, and he was talking about Advent, um, you know, the, 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 that time of the year where we remember Christmas time. And he had a person in his church write him a, a letter, and uh, he read, with that person's permission, that letter to the congregation about what Christmas meant to this particular individual, someone who uh, could probably relate with, with a situation of, of how the shepherds may have felt. This is what this gentleman wrote. He said, the most bitter part of me is hidden in the story of my relationship with my mum. Alcohol was and continues to be her favorite thing. The thing she chooses over everything, including a relationship with me. That's a tough thing for me to even write down, let alone say out loud. And when I start thinking about what she has done to me and my brothers, how that's robbed us of so much, how that's affected my relationship with my wife, and I'm sure in one way or another my kids. It feels impossible not to be bitter. But Christmas, Advent, is and will continue to be an adventure from bitter to something better for me. Because you know what? God doesn't see my mom the way I see her. I just see an alcoholic who wasn't there for me. But he sees a broken, hurting lonely woman in need of peace and goodwill. The message of good news is for all, including my alcoholic mum. And I've got a long way to go. But with God's help and the support of my friends from church, trading my bitterness for my mum to love for my mum, it's happening. She's not changing, but I am. And no way could that ever happen in my life if Jesus hadn't been born. And that's good news and peace for me too. You know, the road from bitterness to love, it begins in Bethlehem. It starts in the stable where Jesus was born and it goes through his life of love and good news for you, no matter who you are and what you've done. You see, here's the good news as, as simply as I can put it to you here this morning. God loves you, and he wants you to be in a right and restored relationship with him. He would pay any price to be close to you, and the proof of that is Jesus. The Jesus who loves you as you are and not as you should be, because none of us really are as we should be, are we? That Jesus was born for you. He lived for you. He died for you. And his love for you was so strong that not even death could keep him down. And I think some here this morning need to know that's how much you are loved by God. He doesn't want you separating yourself and thinking, but what about, but what, and, and, and putting yourself in this category over here. He is for everyone. God loves you so much. But that same Jesus that was born in a stable, that loved you so much, he loves those who have hurt you too. And maybe this Christmas time, it's gonna be a time of you saying, God, I'm gonna need your help because 
what they did to me, the way I feel, it's, it's affecting me. And I believe that when, I, I love what that guy said in the letter. He said, she's not changing, but I am. And no, one could, uh, and no way that could ever happen in my life if Jesus hadn't been born. Some of you this Christmas time, I think, will realize that, man, because Jesus was born, I have the strength, I have the, the uh, opportunity to partner with him to help me work my bitterness to joy, my resentment to love. Can we pray together? Father, I pray in Jesus' name for all here. Lord, especially those who Christmas time might be a difficult time of the year. Maybe it's coming together again with, with family or friends. Maybe it's confronting, coming face to face with one of those situations and, and all those memories coming back and all the, the pain of that situation coming back. Maybe it's pain that we put upon ourselves because of the situation we've been through in our life and when we gather around our friends and family and, and all who appear to have such um, normal lives and we find ourselves looking at our lives, we feel like the shepherds in the situation. But God, you chose not only to, to have a group of individuals tell that Jesus was coming, you specifically chose a group of individuals who needed to know that they were important enough to carry the news of the birth of your son. I pray that everyone here this morning, especially those who may feel like the shepherds, would know how important they are in your eyes, how much you love them, how much you care about them, and how much you care and love even for those who have hurt them. Help them see those through your eyes as well, Lord. And maybe this Christmas, move another step closer to replacing that bitterness with love. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, I know when I talk about subjects like this, that very often it can stir up for some, some situations. And, um, you know, God wants to help you. I believe in prayer. But I also believe in, in sharing with people who are uh, followers of Jesus. You know, maybe there's a, a leader that you're familiar with in church. Maybe it's me. You need to contact and say, hey, Dave, would you help me? Because, you know, what you talked about kind of brought up some situations that I know I need to resolve, but I'm not sure how or I'm not sure uh, what that looks like. We'd love to walk through that with you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to to help keep you accountable. So if you need to, reach out to one of us, reach out to one of the leaders here at Connect. We'd love to help you with that.